Every now and then, I meet someone who's changing the world for the better by their sheer will alone. Whether they're authors, activists, or adventurous, these people are blazing a path with their deep enthusiasm and allowing the world to follow. Their passion is strong, and my passion is to tell their stories. I am Brian Platt, and this is Passion Project. So I'm here with Ben Stone, the executive director of the, and the founder of the Phoenix Conservancy. How's it going, Ben? How are you? I'm doing very well, Brian. I'm doing really well. Nice, man. I appreciate you connecting. I know it wasn't easy uh, with my schedule and everything, so I Absolutely. It. Yeah, no, I appreciate you taking the time. Well, awesome. Um, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, so I'm really excited about uh, with talking with you. I think you've got a, a great organization, but on top of that, it couldn't really come at a better time uh, than right now. But how, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Phoenix Conservancy and how you got the idea for it and um, how it really kind of came to fruition? Yeah, so uh, we were actually, um, I, I did a lot of research when I was um, going through college. My um, study was mainly focused on ecology and evolutionary biology. And so I was um, able to join some research programs working with um, wolves or, and bears and a lot of different um, a lot of different organisms and you know it was something that i noticed while i was doing research that there was there seemed to be this disparity between the people who are doing the scientific research about restoration and and habitat types and things like that and the people who are actually living there the the community members the ranchers the farmers and so i kind of saw this this disparity and and it was something that was very frustrating to me. I I thought that there could be better conversations um, between those two groups. And I really felt like um, people could be communicating a little bit better and it would really have a big impact on the actual environment that people were living in, working in, doing research in. And so um, as I was nearing the end of my college days, I actually um, had gotten in touch with a couple of people that they were really interested in sort of the same thing. Um, they'd been doing research as well in many different places around the world, actually, um, South America, Alaska. And we had very similar thoughts about this, about how the communication between these two sides and um, the focus on the local communities really needed um, needed some work when it came to conservation. And so we actually decided to um, start the Phoenix Conservancy um, Phoenix being sort of rising from the ashes because it, it was something that we noticed as well is that, you know, th- there's not a lot of pristine habitat left it, it really anywhere in the world. Right. Wherever there is pristine habitat, you know, there's some groups that are doing amazing work and they're doing uh, a great job protecting that. But we really felt like there was a lot of land that was degraded or otherwise unused for native habitat that we could work to restore to some sort of native um, or at the very least ecologically um, significant ecosystem. And so um, we started the Phoenix Conservancy just about, uh, we're just going on our third year right now. So it was in January, uh, two years ago that we uh, received our 501c3 from the IRS and um, started this whole process of really trying to work with local communities, um, you know, to restore these endangered ecosystems globally, uh, both for the communities that really depend on them and the conservation of biodiversity. So it's been, a, it's been quite a journey. Yeah, that's that's great to hear. And, and yeah, like you're saying, there's, you know, between urbanization and population booms, there's just not as much of this 
pristine land anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're from the Pacific Northwest. You know, this Palouse Prairie uh, is one of your big initiatives. Was it because of that's where you're from and, and you're very, you know, you saw how it changed or were you just yeah. wanted to yeah, uh, the, conserve it? That was definitely a part of it. Um, growing up in the Palouse, it, it was it was very interesting to me because it seemed like um, there wasn't really any natural habitat around. Um, there's, it, it's a very agricultural region. There's a lot of wheat, chickpea, chickpea and soy and um, production through that region. And so it just, you don't really see a lot of the actual, you know, native prairie there. And so, you know, I, I grew up there, I lived my entire life there. And that was something that I, I didn't really understand what Palouse Prairie was until I was late into college. And so right. that was sort of eye opening for me of, of, just how disconnected some people can be from their natural heritage. And it's not the fault of anybody who's living there. And it's, it's certainly not um, the fault of the area itself. You know, agriculture in that region is what allows that region to grow. Mm -hmm. But the conversation around what natural areas are both important for the humans that are living there and the animals as well and plants as well. And so, you know, preserving that biodiversity and really encouraging that biodiversity in some of these um, areas that people just aren't connected to it. They aren't, they aren't connected to that natural heritage. And so that was something that was very eye-opening for me. And so being in that region, being in that community, and it is a very tight-knit community, um, it was an opportunity for us to really start this conversation. And, you know, I, I got to be honest, I was a little nervous to start um, the Phoenix Conservancy in in that area you know there's really not a lot left and there are a few um, groups that have been working there for you know decades and they, they've done a lot of really great work and so I was, I was pretty nervous to kind of um, go into that area and, and really set down our roots but you know looking back I'm very very glad that we did because it did force us to really evaluate how are we bringing value um to the ecosystem, to these local communities, and to the organizations that are already working there. You know, going in and in the nonprofit sector, it's very much seen as a zero-sum game where if you get a project, I don't, or if I get a donor, you don't. And and it's it's very much um, seen in this in this sort of flat distribution. And and it, it was very important for us as an organization, but also just how we work when it comes to conservation itself how are we going to partner with people collaborate with other um, ngos government agencies you know uh, learning institutions like uh, washington state university how are we going to work with all of these groups and benefit all of them as well as benefit the local ecosystem and the local economy so it it was it it really forced us to learn very quickly yeah (laughs) i'm actually very happy about starting there that's great. And when you talk about the zero sum game, like, like I, I live on the other side of the country and it's, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of issues with like fishermen and, and uh, you know, conservation issues never can really seem to see eye to eye when it's right. kind of, I mean, it's the same thing as long as we have a healthy ecosystem. So uh, I, I think that's very interesting that you were, um, you know, that you're also helping the people and, and understanding, uh, helping them understand how important um, and how rare their area is. What's one of the things that like set you apart that you did that you think you did right that you did that other organizations didn't do 
um, or aren't doing um, that allowed you to survive, even though it was kind of like you said, like, I don't want to say saturated, but there was already organizations doing similar things. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I really think that one of the things that we did right um, was really reach out to the community. Hmm. And again, you know, it's it sort of it's a very small community of people anywhere where you're at that are inherently interested in conservation, biodiversity, things like that. It, yeah. It, it's, yeah. Um, a smaller subset of anywhere where you're at. And so it was the very, it was very much the same out on the Palouse. And so the people who would normally be interested in conservation and be interested in those groups, they were already plugged into this. But what we did, and I, I think what we're doing very well is really connecting with those people who would normally not think about it. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people who go about their day-to-day lives and it's not that they're ambivalent or they're not interested, but it just, it's not a part of the daily conversation in these regions. Yeah, exactly. And so connecting to some of those people and just starting to have some of these conversations about how biodiversity is important for the region, you know, how, how some of the work that we're doing, how conservation, how some of these native plants are really important to water quality and water availability or soil acidity, you know, things like mm-hmm. that, that directly relate to the economy out in this region, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. But again, these, these conversations just, they aren't had normally, you know, they, they don't just come up around the water cooler on a random Tuesday. And so yeah, having some, you know, whether it's events, whether it's outreach, um, whether it's volunteer opportunities where we bring in different community groups um, or partner with local businesses and have them bring their crew out, it starts a conversation. And I, I think that's something that's really important. And, um, in a lot of ways sometimes can be undervalued because it really isn't what um, the normal contributors or supporters of conservation, th- they want to see conservation happening. And mm-hmm. that's important. It's a, that's absolutely vital part of it. But having the conversation really can't be undervalued because getting more people interested and talking more frequently about some of these issues um, is, you know, I would say it's at least half the battle. Yeah, I think kind of having it humanizing it, having it like, um, you know, how it directly can affect you in your livelihood. Like you can talk, mm-hmm. you know, and, and people have been for, you know, decades been talking about climate change. Um, and it doesn't necessarily, you know, people don't necessarily respond unless it does affect them directly. But when you say, oh, hey, we're really? talking about soil acidity in your area, we're, we're talking about natural pollinators, you know, bees mm-hmm. and, and insects or, you know, they're numbers are declining or all this stuff that can affect them and their livelihood, people are much more likely to uh, pay attention. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's something that we've kind of thought about and, and we've worked with, um, you know, local communities and cause, cause again, we're working globally and there's some areas, you know, in, in poorer countries where mm-hmm. that conversation is very much, oh, yeah. it's a lot more linear, you know, it's straight, from here's how what you're doing today is going to put food on the table tonight. Right. And that's that's sort of the value structure there. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you go in and say, I'm taking away your ability to put food on the table tonight. Trust me, it's because biodiversity is important. Th- that's just not a viable option. Mm-hmm. So having those conversations and saying, here's how I can still fulfill your goals of putting food on the table tonight and you know, in the next month, how you're going to feed your family. That's, that's the important step that needs to be taken of here's how 
you can do that and fulfill your same goals, but also um, protect the planet, protect biodiversity, you know, impact climate change. And in some places, um, you know, in South America or Africa, these conversations are a lot easier to have. Yeah. Because it, it is very much putting food on the table tonight, as opposed to here in America where it's, you know, they're different values, but they're just as, um, they're just as important to the people who live there. And, and it may be sending my kids to college or paying off the house. And there's a little bit longer term goals and there's more money to work with, but it's very much that conversation still needs to be had of your goals are not unimportant. You know, you, you wanting your family to farm in this area for the next five decades, that's not an unimportant goal. Yeah, seriously. Here's how I want to help you achieve that goal while also protecting biodiversity. And so it's a lot of learning and it's a lot of very frank conversations and sitting down with people who we normally wouldn't talk because I don't want to convince somebody that native plants are important. I want to show them that native plants can help them do what they find important, which is farming, ranching, whatever it is. I want to show that these two can work together and really benefit you in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. When you start to have that conversation, just look how important this is. Isn't this, you know, not everyone's going to see that. Like there are, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll go on hikes with people and they don't appreciate it. So even when you're out in the, in (laughs) the actual nature, people aren't necessarily, you know, eye to eye with you about how important it is, but saying, Hey, you know, this is how, you know, we can do them both together at the same time. Right. uh, And to better, you know, to better results, generally speaking, on both sides of it. Um, and it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work to get there. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it's, it, it, that's been one of the more difficult challenges with Phoenix is, is that the, you know, finding that connection, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time out in the field. It takes a lot of research. It takes a lot of partnering with people who know a lot more than we do and yeah. trying to find where those connections are because we can, we can push what we think is important, but until we find what is important to those local communities yep. and then find a solution that works for these local, local communities, it's just not viable. <laughs> Do you have an example of a time that that's happened that you found an issue and said, well, this, we've got a s- solution right here that could benefit both parties? Well, yeah, you know, that's something that we've been looking at on the police is, um, you know, the big issue out in uh, that region is that there's very little habitat remaining um, and what is remaining is very, very fragmented. They're very small portions spread throughout the entire region. And so, you know, we've talked about doing larger restoration programs and um, how do we get more native species out and preserve biodiversity and, you know, all those normal conservation minded solutions. But again, with the conversation being how, how can we really benefit these local communities? It was a lot of work to try and figure out what actually matters to to um, this region, what's important, and how can um, restoration, conservation, and, and the overall goal of biodiversity how can that also benefit that community? And, and so, and that's your um, home too. So, yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. Yeah, we think we know the people in the area and what they need, but you know, mm-hmm. really don't. No, absolutely. You know, it, it's it's not until you actually sit down and have that conversation that you you learn that 
And so we, we did a lot of work and it took a long time. You know, when, when we founded Phoenix, um, we didn't start any single projects for several months. And that wasn't because there were projects to start. It was because we made a very purposeful effort of we need to sit down and we need to learn. We, we don't need to come in and say, here's what we know and here's how we're going to change everything. We need to sit down and learn what's important and what are the issues here and really try and figure this out and be very purposeful so that we can be the most effective when we actually do start doing some of this work. And so there's been several um, several avenues that we've gone um, out on the Palouse. There's um, one of the big issues in the region is uh, water availability hmm. um, and water quality. You know, it, it's the aquifer there. It has been decreasing by feet every single year. Oh, wow. And um, there's, you know, through that whole region, there's, there's a concern about the future of water in that area. Mm-hmm. And so we've been working with a couple different um, corporate partners as well as local community members to try and determine how some of these native plants, which, for instance, these native plants have these massive root structures, where normally whatever isn't in farmland, it's in what's called the CRP program, so the Conservation Reserve Program, and um, it's through the NRCS, which is through the USDA. And so they worked very closely with farmers to pay them for the land that they don't farm pretty much. And so they, they pay them to keep land out of production sometimes to preserve that for future, um, future use and future farming. Oh. And so some of the, um, some of the factors that play into that CRP program is, um, soil, um, you know, protecting the actual soil itself, protecting the nutrients in the soil. And so they plant a certain um, grass mix over that soil to prevent erosion and things like that. And so there's a lot of this land that is in CRP. And CRP mixes are generally not native mixes. And the plants that are in CRP, they have these root structures that go down between five and eight feet. And we've seen when you dig down that deep it's almost like somebody turns on a faucet underneath there's so much water and it just comes pouring in from the sidewalls and so the water moves very very quickly just underneath the surface Hmm. and so we've been working with some corporate partners to try and demonstrate how these native plants that have root structures that are sometimes 20 to 30 feet deep can really break through some of these restrictive layers and move the water down instead of moving it horizontally to the nearest um, culvert or whatever it is huh. that then just leaves the area and so that's sort of one of these um, projects where we're really trying to identify a community problem which wow. is the future of water on the Palouse and then identify a possible solution to it <laughs> so so the 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 roots are you know twice as long as what mm-hmm. what they need to be or as you right. know is what the water level is so you're saying that having more of these natural plants in the area would naturally pull the the water that's in the soil down further and thus keep it in the area instead of running off? Yeah, so that's something wow. that they've seen out in the Midwest on some of these prairie systems out in the Midwest, but there's just not a lot of research out where we are. And so we'd really like to work with um, some of these local farmers as well and, and get some hard numbers on this because as soon as you get hard data and you can actually say this is how much water stays, versus you know native native versus non-native plants right um 
that's that's a that's a direct value structure that we can carry throughout the entire region. Wow. But you know, that's sort of how that's the difficult part is it takes work and it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of research and it takes a lot of money to get some of these um, find some of these solutions that are very important. But if we can really um, if we can make that claim and if we can back it up, you know, in a local community like the Palouse, that's something that has direct value to everybody who lives there. It's something that they're right, right. that they care about and that they're concerned about, and we can solve it while also protecting biodiversity and increasing the um, restoration that happens throughout the entire region. And so it, it takes a lot of work. You know, <laughs> we're still getting these huh. programs going, and we're still doing a lot of this research, and we're going into our third year. So it takes a lot of time, and but the focus on trying to solve some of these community problems while also protecting biodiversity. Um, that's kind of what we're about. Yeah. And, and is it, I mean, it seems pretty fulfilling, like even though a, 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 you know, the arc of a whole project can take years, it sounds like, um, mm -hmm. it seems like there's a lot of, you know, momentum and, and wins along the way that even though they're slow to come, uh, they're, they're probably uh, pretty fulfilling. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't feel like three years, you know, right, okay. you start a project and it's just one foot in front of the other. Um, and the people that you meet along the way and the partnerships, it, it doesn't feel like three years. <laughs> you just keep, keep marching towards that goal. And, um, it, it is very much fulfilling. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, so you mentioned the Palouse, uh, in terms of a project, but you actually have a couple more. Um, you work at the Great Plains and you also work in tropical mm -hmm. forests. Um, so how, how did you, A, kind of how did you like decide um, where you wanted to work? Um, and then also how do you work in, you know, in what capacity do you work in these um, areas that might not be right in your back door? Yeah, so uh, when we founded Phoenix, we really, uh, we set out sort of a focus scale because you know, this is not just a problem on the blues. And so mm -hmm. we really wanted to solve these problems globally. And so we really set up these three scales to work at of local, national and international. Okay. And what we're going to be our focus is in those three sort of scales. And so locally, the blues, it's where we're at. It's one of the most endangered ecosystems on the planet. And there was a lot, a lot of work to be done. Um, nationally, you know, the Great Plains and, and moving through the short, short grass, tall grass prairie, you know, th there's very little of that left as well. Um, and so that was sort of our target out in the Midwest. And then mm -hmm. internationally, we're launching this project in Madagascar. Yep, I um, saw that. That's great. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> going to be a really great project. And I'm, I'm really excited about things that we can do, um, again, with these local communities and, and really trying to increase partnerships and and bringing that direct value to those local communities. But in, in each of these scales, we really try and um, evaluate which ecosystem is the most important for us to work in at those scales, local, national, and international. Yeah. And so we look at a couple of factors. Um, the amount of that ecosystem remaining is a big one. Okay. Um, direct threats to it. Are, is there anything that is currently cutting back that number of remaining habitat? Um, and then opportunities, you know, that, that's a really big component of it as well, is that are there opportunities for some of this growth? And there's some areas where people are doing amazing work already. They're partnering very effectively with local communities. And 
us joining that fight in that area um, would be more of a detriment than a, than a benefit. And so we really try and determine where is the opportunity and where are we needed most. And so, you know, with that in mind, the Blues and then the Great Plains, you know, through North America were definitely the two major project areas. Right. And then we'll get in, in our sort of international scope. If we're talking about increasing biodiversity, you kind of can't ignore the tropics. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Some of these rainforests that just have so much biodiversity. Yeah. And so Madagascar came up. We, we met with a few people and we've been collaborating with some um, groups down in country for uh, probably going on a year now, actually. And um, it, it's going to be a really, really fantastic opportunity to um, put some of these things in practice um, internationally. So I'm, I'm really excited for that project. Yeah, and you should be. We, um, my wife and I just got married this year, and we were looking into like, well, we don't want to do a conventional. Congrats. Thank you. <laughs> we're like, we don't want to do a conventional uh, honeymoon. Uh, mm-hmm. like, let's do something a little bit interesting or a little bit different. So we looked first looked into you know the Amazon, and then we did we looked into Madagascar because oh wow. yeah, and I looked at you know it's incredible about how how biodiverse it is and how amazing um, you know the, the organisms that exist there that exist nowhere else. And also, mm-hmm. hey, once we're there, how do we uh, you know donate our money and volunteer um, mm-hmm. and help out? What we are doing is I'm still pretty stoked about is um, doing uh, gorilla trekking in Uganda. Which, oh, wow. Yeah, which okay. is cool. We, I did an interview. Uh, the last podcast was with um, Craig Shawley, and he's the director for African Wildlife Foundation. And he said hmm. that single-handedly, you know, it, it's, it's helped <laughs> awareness, but also single-handedly, like, tourism or ecotourism yeah. has helped oh, the gorilla totally. populations tremendously. Um, yeah. So, and, and that is just, you know, getting out there and, and making people aware, and, and the money goes to the right place, and it's exactly what mm-hmm. you're doing. Um so yeah, I, I think that's awesome. I, I mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, I've always like, where do you begin? I'm sure you want to help everywhere, but how do you, yeah. how do you decide? Um, you know, that's very interesting of like how many organizations are already there, or what's the actual potential, or what, you know, what rate right. are these uh, ecosystems diminishing in the first place? Yeah, you know, that's something that we keep in we keep in mind pretty um, pretty often. Actually, is mm-hmm. how are we, you know. We're 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 young and idealist, and we want to change the world. And right. if we're being really honest about it, there's no way that we could be in every endangered ecosystem around the world, continually benefiting everything in perpetuity. It's just not feasible to be a multinational corporation that's doing this on a massive scale. And so that really informs a lot of our work: is how are we very purposeful about this where are we needed and when we go there and when do we work and when we do some of these programs how are we making sure that this is this is something that's so beneficial to these communities that we won't have to be there forever because as soon as you start a program that brings benefit to the area it doesn't become you should do this because it's good for biodiversity, it becomes, you should do this because this is the best way for these local communities to exist in the long term. Mm-hmm. And those communities take on these programs that don't involve us, and, and we can step back and move on to the next project. Um, but as soon as we sort of start that cycle, 
that's something that's that's truly sustainable. We don't have to continually pour time, money, and effort into it. If we can demonstrate that early on, that's something that becomes a community identity. Right. So it, it's really important for us to do that because, you know, if we're being practical about it, we can't be in every habitat and everywhere on Earth um, as much as we'd like to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not feasible. And so we got to make sure we know what we're doing. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's where the research comes in, I'm sure. And that's also where, you know, how you connect it. That's one of the frustrating things about conservation for me is is just when people come in and say, hey, this has to happen for this reason and, and not really connecting it to the people and um, kind of coming off a little bit more preachy versus listening. I think you guys do a tremendous job of that. Um, well, thank you. That. Yeah, I just don't think the other way works, uh, you know, as well. You know, yeah. you, you've got to kind of hit people in the gut um, mm-hmm. and, and then come up with solutions. Uh, yeah. that sounds like that's exactly what you guys are doing. Um, mm-hmm. so what are your, like, uh, you know, the executive director, what are your day-to-day operations entail? Um, is that really hard to pin down or is it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, every day is pretty different. Um, one of the main things that is done every day is maintaining a lot of relationships. Gotcha. Um, so meeting new people, whether they're business partners, corporate partners, um, whether they're people that were doing work on their property, um, farmers, people who are in tune with communities um, or donors or whoever it is, really trying to uh, maintain that that relationship. Because a lot of these, you know, you, you can you can focus on making a following or we can focus on making an actual community. And those are very, very different things. And so, uh, you know. My my goal with um, a lot of my work is how do we make this a community? You know, because we're all we're all working towards the same goal here. Um, everybody who's involved with Phoenix, whether they're project managers, interns, volunteers, donors, corporate partnerships, whatever, we're all aiming towards the same thing, mm-hmm. um, and we're working towards that. And so, how can we make sure that that community is is very um, close knit? And so. There's a lot of that, a lot of relationship building every day. Um, there is some of the just day-to-day monotony of, of you know, um, <laughs> profit and loss statements and, and statement of financial activity, you know, all, all of these um, sort of behind-the-scenes things right. that you have to put together to make sure an organization runs, which is a lot to learn. And, you know, that's, that's – they don't go a lot – they don't go over IRS tax code very much in biology courses and oh really (laughs) (laughs) so that it's a lot of learning um and trying to figure out some of these things that will not only make us most effective when we're going out there and doing you know our restoration work but how are we just a very effective and well-run well-governed and um you know a a well-oiled machine as an organization um yeah because if we you know, if we focus on that, and, and that's sort of where I focus, you know, these project managers that um, work with Phoenix, they are they are absolute superstars, and they're, they're champions for what we're doing, and they go out, they work with partners, they really develop these amazing programs that bring in the community, and they've done amazing work. And so, really, my job is to make sure that they can be as effective as possible, but then also do some of the background work <laughs> so that they can right, focus right. on doing some of these really um, on the ground projects. And so um, it, it's, it's exciting. And then, you know, we have 
um, frequent meetings with everybody and it, it's it encourages me to meet with everybody and, and hear how much work they're getting done and kind of where they're going and to feed off of their excitement and their um, passion for what mm-hmm. they're doing you know helps me go, get going on some of these background I <clears throat> excuse me, IRS and, and banking and all yeah. of the background, background things. Yeah. Yeah. You need to have, unfortunately you need to have both sides. Uh, one's definitely right. sounds more exciting, but, um, right. So do you get to travel to where you go? Do you get to like, uh, you know, if you go to Madagascar, you go to the great plains and yeah. So that's something that, um, I, I, I really, really enjoy getting out and doing some of these projects and so yeah. going out and working with some of these project managers, um, in the areas where they're working, that that's really important to me. Um, not only because I enjoy it and I enjoy getting outside, um, it's important for me to understand where they're at and, and what are they doing and what are the relationships like that they're fostering on the ground. Um, but you know, we're a small organization, and it's important to really be purposeful about where we're doing this. So we're not we're just not being frivolous. Right, right, right. Of course, when people go out there. Um, but being very purposeful in, in this is a time when it's very valuable for me as the executive director to go out, meet with some of these local community members, see what they're doing on the ground, um, and actually be a part of some of this work. Because then when I'm going to corporate, spark, corporate partners or donors or when I'm speaking about it publicly, um, it's important for me to know what's going on. And so I do get to go out every once in a while and um, – I do enjoy seeing what everybody's doing. Again, they've yeah. developed some made amazing projects, and um, the partnerships that they have made is is they're pretty amazing. So I really, really enjoy getting out there. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's probably you know, like you said, like the lifeblood that keeps you going in other areas that maybe aren't as exciting. absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, for some reason, I seem to have this question in every podcast. It's <laughs> he seems to cast a big shadow. Uh, but, uh, president Trump is, you know, has his own opinions that differ from you and I, uh, about, uh, conservation and environmental issues. Um, how are his political agendas impacting you directly? If they are, I assume they have, uh, some impact. And if so, what is the general public, uh, what can they do about it or what, um, right steps can we take? Yeah, it, it, it is definitely impactful. Yes, <laughs> um, sure. You know, it, it's, it's. I think people um, oftentimes mistake the, um, you know, if there's not high profile things against conservation, people think that, oh, it's, it must not be a big deal. Yeah, it's doing fine. Yeah. Don't worry about right. it. Yeah. Right. But I mean, it's like, it's like anything. I mean, it's, it's like creating one of these programs where you're not thinking about the local community. Um, you don't think about how it impacts other people. Um, and there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of these, um, issues that have come up in, you know, in recent times. Um, and one of them, you know, it was fairly simple of, of, there was a project manager that, um, we were looking to bring on and they were extraordinarily talented. They had, um, a great mindset, um, and they were, they were really passionate about what we were doing. And I really thought they could do some, um, some amazing work with Phoenix. And so they started to work with us very, very briefly. And um, the thing is that they, they're a PhD student um, mm. who is here on a student visa. Uh, and yeah. 
Yeah, and that student visa says specifically you're not allowed to work outside of your, you know, going to school um, or with the university. You can work with the university, but otherwise you're not allowed to work outside of that. And so we said, well, how about this is, you know, this just be a volunteer position. Um, they were really excited to do that. And they actually went and spoke with some of their advisors and uh, immigration lawyers, and, and they looked at it and they said, you know, if this was two years ago, it wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> but right now, we're ah. looking for any reason um, to deport people. And, you know, it, so they, they wow. didn't feel safe um, even volunteering with us on a, you know, in that capacity, um, because it just wasn't worth jeopardizing um, their future, jeopardizing their career, um, just to work with us. And so, you know, there's like that where it doesn't, it doesn't seem like, you know, when all of these immigration debates come up, nobody says, well, how does it impact conservation? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Not a conversation that happens, but it does, you know, it it impacts everything downstream. Um, And there's a lot of things like that where it, it just, it's not the main thought. It's not why people have done it, but it does. Of course, it does have an impact. And even from the other side, like my my mind goes to conservation first. Uh, it's just right. who I am. But I'm working on other areas. But but I don't think about um, you know I don't think about uh, you know I thought I thought you're going to mention something like a federal land grab or something like that. Or, <laughs> uh, but my mind doesn't go to to immigration because that's yeah it just doesn't. So that's that's wild. Right. Um, yeah, they're looking for any excuse you know, to boot people. We're working, we are working globally, and, and people who have a global mindset and people mm-hmm. who really care about their local communities in a, in a global way, you know, that's that's who we're really trying to bring on board, and that's that's who we want working with Phoenix. Um, and it, it, it does seem like sort of an off thing. There's so many direct environmental policies, and we can, we can talk through, you know, several EPA decisions, um, that have just taken the U.S. several steps backwards. Yeah. Um, but or even just cabinet know. members. Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there's a lot, and, right, and again, right. it's one of these where um, it, it's almost a really good, you know, explanation or, or um, you know, description of. You know, some some of what conservation has done in the past, um, you know, no matter what conservation organization, some of what they've done in the past is very similar to um, what this administration has done um, to conservation currently, where Hmm. if you don't bring up, you know, conservation broadly can do real detriment to local communities if they don't factor in the impact to local communities. And very similarly, this administration if you don't factor in biodiversity, the environment, conservation, all of these things, if you don't factor that into your decision-making, you can really do great harm without even really thinking about it. Uh, and these these policies um, that are seemingly aimed at something else, you know, whether that's decreasing regulation yeah. or um, whatever it is, while you're trying to aim at that, if you don't factor in some of these other issues, you can really do you can really do a lot of harm. Um, and, you know, that's probably what I'm most concerned about with um, where we're going currently is that, you know, it, it has to be a part of the conversation. You know, we're not at a place anymore where we can just ignore it. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's very important to bring some of these things up. But, 
unfortunately they're not being they're not being brought up at a higher level and so um i hope that that'll change yes time as well and and i think that's something you guys are doing well i I think it's something uh you know there are some people out there uh that really respond to money whether it's uh you know Mm -hmm. on a level that we were just talking about at the you know the federal government or it's people who need to just focus on how to put food on the plate today um and i think you guys are connecting that you're bridging that gap a little bit better so uh, the, you know, whether it's locally uh, or even federally, people who understand how important these ecosystems are um, to your overall profit. And, and that way you get, you know, you can connect with both people, people who naturally like it for its the, the beauty that exists there. And then people who um, will rely on it for for money, uh, you know, for, for their, their livelihood. And then those who yeah. rely on those people for their, you know, as their constituencies in terms of voters. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, so it seems like you guys have, uh, you know, it seems like you're a really great organization. And, uh, yeah, how, how do people help? How do people help you guys? So there's there's plenty of ways. I mean, obviously, um, getting in touch with us and, and having some of these conversations with us because we learn a lot. We learn a lot from everybody. Um, you know, we have, we have a lot of events where we actually, um, it's not specific money-making events and it's not um, – for a specific project, but it's just to bring the community together around this topic of conservation. Oh, nice. Okay. So people can get in touch with us um, because it's very important for what we do. We need to know what people think and what their experiences are. And so just getting in touch with us, that, that's a huge component of it. Hmm. Um, people can go online and also uh, sign up to volunteer with us. You know, we have lots of events specifically um, to bring people out into some of these areas and volunteer and, and do some of this work. And so they can kind of get, get their hands in the dirt. Um, and then there's obviously supporting us financially. You know, a lot of this stuff, we, you know, we need to be able to purchase plants or um, purchase supplies for some of this restorations um, work. And, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, but there, there's a lot of different ways that people can um, kind of connect with us. And so, Go to our website and, um, you know, even simple stuff like following us on the social media, uh, you know, different social medias is, is very valuable to us as well because, um, we really try and be very transparent and open about a lot of what we're doing, um, and connecting with people and, and creating that sort of community. Um, it, it is very important. So even people who can't give, um, it's very important for them to, you know, be in touch with us and follow along with what we're doing and, and kind of keep track of where we're at because it's always changing and we've always got new pro- projects and uh, we love to kind of hear what people are thinking. Well, cool. Ben, I want to thank you again. Uh, that was a great chat and I love what you at the Phoenix Conservancy is doing. It's a terrific vision, but also a really great, um, you know, team to pull it all together. Uh, so, yeah, mm-hmm. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about that. Well, thank you so much, Brian. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. And I, I enjoy talking about this stuff. And it was great to kind of hear your thoughts on it as well. So thank you, man. Of course. Absolutely. Um, you take care and have a good one. I'm sure we'll be in touch. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining. If you liked that episode, feel free to rate, view, and subscribe. That actually really helps. If you haven't seen it yet, take a look at the accompanying blog. Don't forget your boots.com, where you can read more and see photos for all the interviews. Until next time.